Well, good morning. Welcome to White Plains Baptist Church. My name is Gary, and I joyfully serve as the senior pastor here. And I want to say to the church, thank you for uh, the card and, and the pastor appreciation. Uh, it, this is an easy place to love, and, and you guys are a great people to serve, and I'm thankful for you guys. And I, do, I say every week I joyfully serve as your senior pastor, and that's not just a word. It really is. It's a joy to be here. And so I want to say thank you for, for loving me and my family well. Um, but I also want to say welcome to our guests. If you're new to us this morning, I want to say welcome. Thank you for being here with us. You, you are an answer to prayer. I've been praying for you and your families this week. In fact, I prayed for you this morning that God would use whatever is happening in your life around you right now to point you to him. And, and I'm thankful that you're here with us. I hope that you find our church to be a warm and welcoming group of people because we are, and, and I'm thankful that you're here. Um, kids, it's always good to see you here at church. I've got something back here I wanted to unpack with you. Um, I'm sure many of you get packages like these at home all the time. This is, this is always good news when a box like this pops up in our driveway by our back door. You guys get excited when you see packages like this at your house? Well, we've got, coming up, we've got um, this, out, this uh, community fall fest that's happening. I want to show you some things that we're going to have. Um, so this was given to us by the Decorating Center. What, what we're going to do with this is we're going to fill this up with candy corn. And you, you're going to guess how many pieces of candy corn are in here. And if you get it right, you get to take it home, which would be fun to have all that candy corn at your disposal anytime you want. So it's going to be, and I think adults are able to, to, to guess as well. But this, this, is, this is fun. I'm excited about that. I'm not going to vote because I'm going to count. Um, speaking of candy corn, this, this is not what we're putting in that because one wouldn't fit. But this, I've got 10 of these. And we're going to set them up like a bowling alley. And so this is candy corn bowling. And you get candy for knocking everything down or knocking as many down or whatever. All the things we're doing at this, this thing, this fall fest, is to get you candy. Because what is October without candy? I'm, I'm excited about these. These are little stickers, things that you put on pumpkins. kind of like um, Mr. Potato Head or whatever. Instead of trying to cut or paint pumpkins... Uh, together, we're just going to give some stickers, and, and we'll have pumpkins for you to decorate. There's all kinds of different faces you could put on there, so that'll be kind of fun. I'm excited about those. I'm not as excited about this one. <laughs> You've heard that we've got this putt-putt pie the worship director booth or something, or putt-putt pie the pastor. So I have a feeling that I'm going to see a lot of these um, on that Saturday, where we're going to fill this up with something that I will enjoy um, <laughs> that I can lick off my face. But, but if you hit a hole in, uh, yeah, hole in one on, a, on this putt-putt course that, we, that we'll have set up, you'll get to pie whoever's behind the booth or whatever. But that'll be kind of fun, I think. Um, limit one per person. <laughs> I told some of the students, because they got really excited for some reason, um, <laughs> that it, it goes both ways. That if, I, if they pie me, I get to pie them right back. So um, I, we'll see how that plays out. The last thing I wanted to show you is everyone who's coming will be getting one of these uh, little bags. Um, 
they'll be able to keep their candy in. So they'll leave with a full bag of candy. Um, Dugal Park is having a, a trunk or treat right after, so I hope that they just dump this in their car, take this bag with them, and, uh, and fill it up over there too, and, and let people know that they've been in the flight planes earlier that day. So I'm excited about this thing. I hope you guys are too. I know we've mentioned some of the announcements about it. Um, I, think, I think our church is a very welcoming place to our community, and we do a ton of things already uh, to, to reach out to, to kids and families and I think this will be one, one, one more of those types of things. So I'm hopeful that uh, kids, you invite your friends, your cousins, your neighbors, and, and uh, invite them to come. It'll be fun. So it's October 28th from 2 to 5. And uh, rain or shine, we can do all of it inside if it rains or, or whatever. But hopefully we'll do, it, do all of it outside. So kids, thank you for being here. You guys are dismissed to go on up to Kids Church. Kids Church is for kids in kindergarten through fifth grade. Parents and grandparents, you'll be able to pick them up in the lobby after our service is over. So as they're leaving, we mentioned that Cooper's in Hawaii. He's, he is waterfront, um, but he's not quite in Hawaii. He is with 16 of our students uh, who've joined 70 other students from Eastwood Baptist and Calvary Baptist over in Bowling Green. They're at Barefoot Republic this morning doing the fall retreat, and um, right now Cooper is speaking with them, and I think we have a, a video of Cooper doing some warm-ups for to get ready for tonight or this morning. That's his name. Ready? I've never seen a grown man scream that long or that loud, <laughs> but that was prep work for this morning, I think. So um, I've seen several other pictures and videos of our students. Over, over at uh, Barefoot, they look like they're having an amazing time. They'll be back this afternoon, and I'm looking forward to hearing, especially from my girls, uh, what, what, what went on. I've heard really good reports um, about some things that are going on, and I'll, I'll save those stories for later times. But, um, in fact, next week we're going to have more um, a report on what's, happening, what's been happening uh, with our student ministry as far as um, the way we've been reaching out to the high schools and, and the sports teams and, and feeding them, and I'll let Cooper share some of those good news. But, but be in prayer for Cooper and the students in this final hour of their fall retreat. Be in prayer for the students as they return to the real world. Uh, they've been sort of uh, holed away at um, Barefoot Republic all weekend, and so they'll, they'll come back and have school tomorrow, and the real world will hit them. So be in prayer as they, they come back. Um, but this morning, we're going to continue in our series in the letter of 1 Timothy, gospel-centered godliness, being the church and the community. And this morning, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 16, through 16, and also in 1 Timothy chapter 4. As we study through this letter of 1 Timothy, I want to keep our focus, or continue to keep our focus, on the call to godliness that's clearly stated throughout this letter, the call to godliness is a reoccurring theme in 1 Timothy. It's mentioned at least 10 times, and we're seeing that this call to godliness for Timothy, for the church pastors and church members, it's for the sake of the gospel. This letter is a call to the church and its leadership to live and worship in a way that proclaims the gospel to the church, that is, each other, and to the community. And it's important to note that this call to godliness is always a response to our salvation. It's not a cause of it. You and I, we cannot work our way to God. 
God is, is the one who saves us. Working our way to God is not the gospel. We're saved by grace through faith. And we're saved to do good works. And we're saved to live godly lifestyles. And we're saved to share the faith that we have with others. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. We'll start with this short part of the passage here first this morning. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray in response to what we just read. God, thank you for this statement of the gospel, the mystery of godliness. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, thank you for these words from Paul to Timothy, to the church, to us. Help us to look into this book, this letter, and know how we ought to behave. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, thank you for our students who are away at, at retreat this, this morning. Lord, I pray that as they return back, Lord, that you would continue to, to strengthen them, to continue in the godliness that they've learned this weekend. You are good to us, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the purpose of 1 Timothy is right here. The whole letter is, is written for this reason. Paul is writing to Timothy so that Christians would know how to behave in the church. And I summarize this with our sermon series title, Gospel-Centered Godliness. I am attempting to point out to you the call of godliness in the life of the Christian. It's for the sake of the gospel. Now, the gospel is more than just how to be saved. The gospel speaks to all aspects of our life and how we live in it. We are to live godly lifestyles that reflect the gospel, that are based in the gospel, and that promote or proclaim the gospel. Many Christians understand that the gospel saves them or that it speaks to salvation and that there is a future hope in the gospel for those who believe. But for most Christians, however, there is a lot of life between salvation and death. And the gospel helps us to understand how we live as we struggle with sin and how we live for the gospel in our victorious moments too, but we have gospel blind spots between our salvation and our future hope. Paul David Tripp and Tim Lane call this the here and now blind spots that most Christians have. It's the gospel gap. At the first of the year on Wednesday nights, I'm going to be leading our adults through a study on their book um, called How People Change. And this will be a great study to go through if you want to know how the gospel changes people here and now. How it can change you, how it can change a friend or a loved one. It's a foundational book if you ever consider doing biblical counseling with folks. So I grew up in Glasgow. Many of you know that and don't hold it against me. Uh, but I've been here for a year and a half, and I've been away for about eight years. 
it seems to me like this area, like so many areas in the Bible Belt, struggle with this gospel gap, this here and now. We have churches all over the area, and most of them are doing a wonderful job of sharing the salvation aspect of the gospel. That Jesus is the only way to be made right with God. There seems to be a good understanding of our future hope here in the Bible Belt as well. But you don't have to look far to see that the church in the Bible Belt struggles with the here and now. The same life issues and questions that the world struggles with, the Christian struggles with. The Bible Belt in general is falling through the gospel gap and not knowing what the gospel has for them here and now, between salvation and the next life. Many Bible Belt Christians live in a way that doesn't look much different than the world around them. If you're struggling with living a life that reflects the faith that you proclaim, or if you have loved ones who, would like, who you would like to help disciple and care for to live lives that look like they have faith that they proclaim, I would encourage you to join us in January on Wednesday nights for our family night as we study the adults, as we study how people change. But you don't have to wait. You can feel free to pick up a copy of their book uh, and read it before. But, but here in 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy so that Christians would know how to behave in the church. I use the ESV study Bible regularly. I really love the way it helps us helps to describe the purpose that Paul is writing here. Uh, If you have the ESV study Bible, you'll see it in your study notes on page 2330. It's a big book. Um, It says this, true doctrine leads to right living. Another way of saying that is true belief leads to right living. True doctrine leads to right living. This helps us with the here and now, with living through this gospel gap, true doctrine leads to right living. Why do we need to know the Bible as a church? Why should the church sit under biblical expository preaching instead of topical motivational speeches? Why does worship based on biblical truth matter during a church's worship service? Because true doctrine leads to right living. This is why, as your pastor, I'm constantly thinking of protecting you guys, protecting myself from the false teachers that are on the internet and in the community. True doctrine leads to right living. This is why so many people who claim Christ as their Savior continue to live lives marred by sin and struggles that don't look much different than the world. We have a culture of Christianity that just wants to be told they're good with the way they are. We have pastors and churches that are focused on building followers and platforms, so they water their messages down to appeal to the masses. But those masses are living lives that aren't aren't much different than the world around them. True doctrine leads to right living. The church should behave in a way that promotes the gospel message. But that isn't the case often, is it? There are denominations splitting over cultural issues that the Bible clearly speaks on. We have many denominations trying to clean up after sinful abuse scandals that have come to light. There are churches that are known more for what they're against 
than the gospel they should proclaim. And other churches are trying to change culture without sharing the message of hope with individuals. Why is it important that the church behave in a way that promotes the gospel message? This is the purpose in which Paul is writing to Timothy. It's important that you and I, as White Plains Baptist Church, behave in a way that promotes the gospel message. Because that's the reason we exist as a church. That's the reason we exist as Christians. This is our purpose, to love God, the community, and each other in ways that demonstrate the gospel message. Paul says that the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, you probably know what a pillar is, but here's a photo. This is a pillar, and we have one out in the lobby. We have a couple out in the lobby. Pillars, the ones here in this building, are there to hold up the second floor a little bit. The pillar in the photo is there to support a roof. Pillars are tall objects used to support. You can build on pillars. They support, they give help. They help buildings grow taller. Paul says the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, I had to look up buttress. Without, without going to the next photo, do you know what a buttress is? It's fun to say. Um, I had no idea, so I looked it up, and I was like, I, I don't see these often, but they are, you see these in older buildings for sure, but here's a picture of a buttress. It's a support that is built into a wall that protects the building from falling or collapsing. A buttress supports the building against wind and storms. It provides strength. When Paul says the church is a pillar and a buttress for the truth, what is he saying? Well, here's what he's not saying. Paul is not saying the church is the truth. The Catholic Church misunderstands this. The truth is the Bible. Our only authority is the Bible. Paul is not saying that the church is where you go to feel good about yourself. Just like the doctor's office isn't where you go to eat whatever you want and act however you want, live however you want, just to hear that that cancer or that illness will get better on its own. We all want to feel good about ourselves, especially in areas of life that we don't want to give over to God. The Bible is encouraging and gives us great news and hope about our sinful nature and the pain in our lives and around the world. But when we look into the Bible, we are faced with decisions. Decisions about our lifestyles, our priorities, our sin. And when you come to a church that teaches truth, you might not always feel good as you confront your sin. If a church doesn't make you confront the sin in your life, they are not being a pillar or buttress for the truth. Paul is saying the church is where the truth is proclaimed. The church is there to support you, to grow you, help grow you in your understanding of the truth. Much like a pillar, you can grow in a church that lives out its mission as a pillar and buttress of a truth. Life will come. Harm may follow. Storms will find their way to you. And the truth of the Bible is there to hold you up. And the church is there to support you during those times of weaker faith or stormy situations. Much like a buttress, 
you can be strengthened by a church that lives at its mission as a pillar and buttress of the truth. The truth of the Bible is best stated in the gospel. Paul gives us the mystery of godliness in verse 16 that tells us a wonderful summary of the gospel message. Look with me at the poetry of verse 16. He was manifested in the flesh. That is, Jesus was made incarnate. He became a man and he died. Vindicated by the Spirit, that is, Jesus was resurrected, proving that he was who he said he was, and they had power over sin and death. Seen by angels, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were put on display before God's heavenly creation. This is interesting, and it's part of our current Wednesday night study on Family Night, and that we'll continue this week over the invisible creation. Paul continues, proclaimed among the nations. This gospel message was and is still being preached to the world, believed on in the world. Not only is this message being preached, but the gospel message is effective. People are coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus, leaving their sinful lifestyles behind and following Jesus as Lord. We saw that last week with Raleigh's baptism. One of the things that was so wonderful about Raleigh's baptism that many of us probably didn't pick up on we probably missed was that it was his soccer coach that baptized him. Coach Josue Ramirez was one of the first people that I met when I first came here a year and a half ago. He's a great guy if you know him. And I later found out that he's an associate minister over at Scottsville Church of Christ. Now, most of the time, Southern Baptists and Church of Christ find more to disagree about over doctrinal issues than we have to agree upon but the gospel unites us. The gospel message is the same message that drives Scottsville Church of Christ, just as it is the message that drives White Plains Baptist Church. And we can joyfully and mutually come together for the declaration of someone's faith, like Riley, who plays on Hostway's team and attends our student ministry. Paul finishes this poem with Jesus being taken up in glory referring possibly to his ascension in Acts or his future return and final ascension. The gospel is the message of the church. The church is a pillar and buttress for this truth. But there are some pastors and some churches who don't teach the gospel message. Let's look at 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who, by those who believe and know the truth. For everything Created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is by, made, by, made holy by the word of God and prayer. Here we see some of the false teaching in the early church. These teachings and teachers are influenced by demons. The teachings mentioned here are the foundation of what will later plague the church, the early church, 
known as Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism really began in the second century, and it's still around today. Maybe not by that name, but its teachings and its thoughts are still around, and it finds its way in churches and in pastors who continue to teach its false doctrines. Since Paul is writing in the first century, we don't have a fully developed Gnosticism. But we do have the foundational beliefs that are being formed. Gnostics believe you can only be saved through revealed secret knowledge. Gnostics are also very spiritual. They have a negative view of the material things in creation. For the Gnostic, spirit is good and material or matter is evil. Now, these are foundational thoughts that are being developed in, the, in Ephesus that Paul is referring to. Some early church people influenced by these false teachings of developing Gnosticism, they're forbidding marriage and they're requiring abstinence from foods, certain foods. And this is the opposite of the truth found in Genesis where God creates marriage and he created everything and he called it good. So for example, God created sugar and flour and called them good. Now we put them together with things like yeast and oil, things that come from other things that God made and we make donuts. And absolutely, I call those good. <laughs> now, use is not the same as abuse. You can abuse the goodness of donuts, and that will become sinful. But use does not equal abuse in the Bible. God calls us to enjoy many things that he created. Much of what was created was created for our enjoyment. Use doesn't equal abuse. Now, these false teachers and those who are leaving the faith here in 1 Timothy are basically saying something like, donuts are evil, and you can't have any. Now, they're really talking about certain kind of animals, more than likely, but, but these false teachers are saying use is the same thing as abuse, so you shouldn't use or eat donuts. The gospel message is the message of the Bible, and I've said to you many times that the Bible is a book of many stories, telling one big story, the story of God rescuing people like you and me. Now, this story begins in Genesis. It begins with creation. God created things, and those things were good. Paul says that nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So this means... We have freedom to enjoy the things that God has made that aren't forbidden in the Bible and that you can use while you're giving God glory. This isn't freedom to abuse those things, though, or if something can't be done in a way of giving God glory. This means that the things the Bible explicitly calls sin aren't free to be used, let alone abused. This is why it's important for you and I to know the Bible and how to apply the Bible. But Christian ethics also come into play here. We must consider our Christian brothers and sisters who have different responses to this freedom. Paul says this in Romans 14, 13 through 15. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. 
I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Much of the Christian life is devoted to God and to others. It never seeks its own interests over the interests of others. This is the opposite of the American way of life in many ways. Since we live in this American bubble, we should slow down and really consider these statements from Paul. This is lived out in many ways. We're in the middle of an election cycle. There are multiple wars happening, and our community is changing its culture. All of these can lead to loud and strong opinions. And if you're known more for your opinions on these matters than you're known for following God and living for Him, then we are at risk of causing other Christians who may be on other sides of some of these issues to stumble. Paul says that we must not do that. In your notes, the church, the pastor, and the Christian have one message, the gospel. Everything centers around this gospel message. Everything is viewed through this gospel lens. He was made manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let this be what you and I are known for here in this community. Let's look at the rest of 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is starting in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set, the believer, set for the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul focuses on Timothy and church pastors here in the last part of chapter 4. Paul is continuing to tell us, the church, how we should behave and his instructions, and he has instructions and examples for its leaders, the pastor. A good pastor keeps the Bible in front of the church. I'm a Star Trek fan. 
I enjoy reading about philosophy, and I am attempting to learn Greek without the help of technology with the hopes of doing the same thing in Hebrew. I enjoy watching The Office. I was a former marketing professional and a financial advisor, and I'm somewhat of an expert on how to get bats out of bedrooms. I am also your pastor. If you know me or get from me more about anything other than the Bible, I'm doing something wrong. If you look at me and you say, that guy is really whatever, and it doesn't include a teacher of the Bible, then I'm doing something wrong. A good pastor keeps the Bible in front of the church. As your pastor, I keep the Bible in front of you. It is the book I preach from. It is the message that fills the sermons I preach. Not only will a good pastor keep the Bible in front of the church, a good pastor will teach the Bible through a gospel lens. The gospel is the message of the Bible. For Paul says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Now I've had people in our community ask me what my thoughts were on end time matters. They wanted to know if I preached through an end times or eschatological lens, and if so, which one? They wanted to know that I preached with what they agreed with, I guess. Let me say, there is nothing wrong with looking at the Bible to see what will come. To have thoughts about the future and having those shaped by the Bible, that is good. But it, and it seems rather timely considering what's happening around the world. But this individual who wanted me to, who wanted to know which end times model I held to, um, I told him that I didn't preach through an end times lens or guess at what God might do. But I preach through a lens of what the Bible says that God has done. The gospel is the message of the pastor who wants to preach the Bible. The gospel is what God has done. It is certain there isn't any guessing or wondering about if it will happen one way or the other. The gospel has happened, and it continues to happen and have effects in the lives of people today. It is the lens a pastor should preach through. A good pastor is also an example of the Bible to the church. A pastor should practice what he preaches. He should be an example of the Bible. He should model grace. He should model mercy. He should model patience. He should be an example of kindness to the lost and hurting world and to each other. He should also model judgment and discernment. He should model protection and clear biblical boundaries on how to deal with those who threaten the unity of a church. He should be an example worth following. A good pastor continues to grow in the Bible. A good pastor has never finished learning or growing from the Bible. It's a big book, and it takes a lifetime, probably more than a lifetime, to really understand. You, too, should continue to grow in, in the Bible. The Bible will never fail you. It is God's word. Just like him, his word is true and will bless you as you read and study it. Never be done with the Bible. The last, Paul, the last point that Paul is making here to Timothy is a bit odd. I don't know if it triggered your odd sense, but let's look at it. It says, keep, keep a close watch on yourself 
and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Salvation results from the obedience of a good pastor. Now let me be clear. A pastor doesn't save you. A person doesn't save you. An evangelist or a teacher or a family member doesn't save you. God saves. God does the work to keep one saved. God does, however, use people including obedient pastors, to work through in matters of bringing people to salvation. Oftentimes, God uses many people over an extended time to bring salvation upon someone. The church and the pastor are to be shaped by the gospel message. Salvation is central to the gospel message. And peace is often associated with salvation. And we live in a world right now especially is currently broadcasting the depth and pain of sin we see it over and over in our in the headlines on the news apart from jesus the world will never know peace apart from jesus you will never know peace i'll invite the worship team back up And throughout this series, I have brought our attention to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Without Jesus, you will die. Now, we all die. This is not the the death I'm talking about, not just in this life, but we, we will be separate, or you will be separated from all that is good and loving apart from Jesus. And that will be for a future forever. This is the death that sin brings. Separation from God. Separation from goodness. But God gives grace in the free gift of Jesus. In Jesus, you will have life after that death of this world. Life everlasting awaits those who follow Jesus and make him the Lord and center of their life. Will you follow Jesus today? Will you submit to his authority over your life? We're going to sing in a moment a song of invitation. If you want to talk more about what it means to follow Jesus or to trust in him or to live like you're a Christian, this is the time for you to come forward. You can come and pray. You can come and speak with me. Are you following Jesus? Does your life look like it? Will you stand as we pray? God, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for the goodness of Scripture and the grace you offer. Thank you for Jesus that he can make us right with you. He's the only one who can. Lord, help us to trust in Jesus. And for those of us who have trusted in Jesus and are waiting for our future hope, help us to live like we trust in Jesus in the here and now. That we wouldn't fall through that gospel gap. That we would look into your word and understand how the gospel impacts and affects all aspects of our life. Strengthen us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.